What we sing, Alistair Begg talks about congregations being people in quiet desperation, needing truth put into them. And as a musician, and as people who lead worship, we all have a job to help build deep disciples through the songs that we sing. Our special guest today on First Person will be Irish singer-songwriters and recording artists Keith and Kristen Getty. Hello and welcome to First Person, a weekly conversation with people who talk openly about their faith in Jesus Christ and what He has called them to do in life as they serve Him. I'll introduce Keith and Kristen in just a moment. If you'd like more information about today's program or to see a schedule of the guests coming up in the weeks ahead, I invite you to our website, firstpersoninterview.com. There are links there to follow to learn more about the couple you'll meet today. Plus, you can go back and listen to today's interview or any past interview at firstpersoninterview.com. In a few short years after moving to America from Ireland, Keith and Kristen Getty have established themselves as premier modern-day hymn writers. Known for their theologically sound lyrics and beloved melodies, Keith and Kristen also give beautiful expression to their music in their worshipful concerts. I was in Nashville recently where they have moved and was invited to sit down with this couple in their home. Two-year-old Eliza Joy played quietly as we talked about their thanks to God for the growth of their ministry. We're so grateful. I mean, the opportunities we've had, I mean, as young people, we could never, either of us, even when we moved here, could have dreamed the opportunities we've had. And we're we're so we're so grateful for that, and we're so grateful that um, when when you think every day, when you think of the 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 sin in your life, even things you wish you hadn't said, even last night or whatever, that, that the Lord can still use um, these bodies and these and these limited gifts that we have to to be involved in Christian service. It's pretty mm. pretty excellent, you know. You also feel that um, burden or healthy burden it is to continue with the work to try and continue trying to do it well and working at your craft and yeah. I think, stewarding the stuff best you can. And and I think I think writing gets harder every year. I mean, this year I've had to work even harder to craft out some songs. I, mm. I look at the songs each year that we write and each year we get little little bits of little jewels that we're happy with, but it seems to get harder and harder every sure. year. So that's, but I think I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure what the answer to that is. <laughs> You're also talking as a new dad. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things going on. And uh, it's not just the creativity and the performance, but it's all the behind-the-scenes organization, the business part of what you do, too. It's got, it's got to be very demanding. It is. We've been blessed with a very good team. Obviously, we made the unusual step of, of managing everything ourselves. So the, both the touring company and the label product company and the song company, we oversee and... So that's been a whole new way of thinking about how you do stuff. But over time, the Lord has brought people into our places. Kristen's father once said to us that resources will never be the thing that stops you doing things. It'll be personnel. And so it's taken a while, but we've managed to get really great, great, a really great, great team of people, both both people who we aspire to, um, who are in our band or who are creative and who advise us, and also a wonderful team both the production team, the creative team, and the, the office team are just wonderful. There's not one of them we don't just love being with and working with. So. I think you're in an interesting position because not only are you mentored in this place by others, but now you are also mentoring those coming from behind, right? Yeah, we, we were just talking about that. We did one the, we just said the Irish Christmas this year, and four of the most impressive people on that tour were all between the ages of 21 and 25. And we like to <laughs> and, think that they're close in age well, until, to us, and then we start doing Until now, the we always thought ourselves as part of the younger crowd. Uh, yeah. And then finally he this year, He thinks he graduated from college last year. <laughs> and so finally this year, for the first time, we realized these kids... 
these are people who you know were starting school when we were finishing school, and yeah. so mm. they're not quite old enough, to, young enough to be our kids, but they're they're much younger. But we we learned for the first time this year what many of you, uh, many pastors, have always told us, and that is the, the sheer energy of a new generation of guys who come in, and we stuck one of them onto the production team for production meetings, and they were just chirping up with suggestions that I thought were a little bit abrupt. But, <laughs> but you know, and each one of them has added has added a real spark to its young people. That's so. one of the reasons we moved to Nashville. You know, we loved our time in Cleveland, but um, Nashville attracts so many interesting people, particularly in our area of music, and we have learned so much. It was yeah. almost like going back to college for us to come mm. down here. Mm. Um, and the people that we've met, we um, live in the university district of, of this town, so some of these students, Keith, is talking about they're just you know a mile away they permeate the, no, the neighborhood they're sort they? of around yeah. and that, we've loved yeah. that part of it well this area is full of it's full of it's it's a music row we're beside music row and we're beside the universities we we, we don't get to meet many people in christian music unfortunately because they mostly live out in Brent, brentwood and franklin um but e- even even without that we have been able to meet you know, just like i would say i would say almost every good thing that has happened since we moved here has the has the signature of people, hasn't it? People mm. and community and people mm. we've met from songs to concepts. To but you are in the States. You're not back home in Ireland and now you've got Eliza Joy. He's American. Uh, who's American. So um, <laughs> your folks, Kristen, how do they feel about being so far away? Well, both sets of parents, they're incredibly supportive and they believe in everything that we're doing. They miss us, but I'm not sure how much they would actually want us to come home because I think they enjoy coming to see us here. Oh, I so see. Okay. With everything gained, you know, then there's a little, yeah. there's a, there is sacrifice, and we are swings in a, and roundabouts. Yeah, we're in a unique <laughs> stage where our parents are, are healthy and well. We have other siblings here at home and starting to have kids and various different things. Um, but so for now it works, you know. But I don't, mm. we don't know what tomorrow mm. will bring and what the needs will be there. But we do love it here. Well, it's always fun to catch up with you guys. And I thought what we would do today, as many times as we've talked, I don't think that I've ever talked to you about your own faith story. Mm-hmm. I would like to hear how each of you came to Christ. Now, I know you grew up as a pastor's daughter. Yes, Kristen, I did. So let me start with you. <laughs> okay. when, when did Christ come into your life? Well, becoming a Christian, I don't, I hardly remember it in that it was the most natural thing in the world for me. It, faith was an, an easy thing very early on. I was brought up in a house where um, it was clearly seen, it was attractive, um, it permeated all of our life through a great local church to friends and just how my parents were. And I, I remember when I was maybe four years old, um, asking the Lord Jesus into my heart with my mum and then asking him many times every day for quite a while. <laughs> I don't know why that was anyway. Um, so it was, all, it was always very much there and um. I do remember when I went in the early years of high school that it became, or the late, the last couple of years actually of elementary school, it really started to click for me the connection of the decision to follow Christ and what that meant for my life. And I can remember um, going to a little group and we were making badges and writing I Love Jesus in this little badge I made and wearing it to school. And my teacher bringing me to his desk and saying, Kristen, what, what is that you have on your on your uniform? So it's, it's a badge I made last night. And he goes, oh, well, is it true? <laughs> I said, yes, it is absolutely true. <laughs> he was a believer and he was just oh. asking a searching question, you know, but I can remember that was the beginnings of, okay, this is this is actually my identity. And mm. that carried through high school. But then, of course, like most people who grew up in the church, um, it's very natural. And then suddenly 
um, you meet others who don't believe what you believe and suddenly the questions you grow begin a little. To doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and you begin, begin to ask questions. And again, my family were brilliant at that. It was an environment where you could ask questions. They weren't scared to talk through the tough things. And I, I really appreciated and benefited from that. Um, and the same through my time at university. What has been interesting is um, and continuing to have to learn the simple parts of the faith, even though it's things that I've known my whole life. Mm. And there have been moments where um, I've heard something either in, in a sermon or I've read something and something has clicked in a deeper way. And I almost think, it's like I've become a Christian all over again, <laughs> even though I already know that You're I am. New things, but mm-hmm. it's just, and um, but these simple things that go deep, deeply, the understanding of of grace as it works out in your life. Because when you're four, you don't really realize how bad you are. Then, yeah. as you get older, you start to realize yeah. just how broken you are. But isn't that true of all of life? Mm-hmm. I mean, we if we, if we stop learning and mm-hmm. stop appreciating what God has has done for us, then. Yeah. We may as well fold up our tent, I guess. Right. right. And one of the things that um, I love about getting older, and I'm 32 <laughs> now. No sympathy here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one that is that, and I was thinking about this today at Bible study, that when you look back and you can reflect um, on having many years walking with the Lord and you can see his fingerprints in your life and, and see his faithfulness and his working through and the things that he has called you to do and various different things. There's so much to be grateful for, so much um, that you can claim to in terms of promises experienced yeah. and faith growing and I, I, that's something that I hope as, as a believer to add to every year and sometimes mm-hmm. I'm envious of those people that are 10 years old or 20 years old and they're working with walking with the Lord longer and see how the difference in their lives and how their faith is just stronger brighter they're more confident their feet are more firmly planted and that's what I would hope you know yeah I assume that you sang as a child yeah, I did. You did. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. <laughs> did you Did you ever write anything as a child? Well, I wanted to be Anne of Green Gables oh, as a child. That okay. that held that had a tight hold on me as a little girl, and she would have. And she wrote poetry uh-huh. and stories, and so I tried to do the same. Um, and the singing thing happened as a little girl. I, w- I was at church and a, a lady got up to sing actually an old Graham Kendrick song. I was maybe four or five years old. And it was the first time I understood that people would sing in front of other people. And I can remember thinking, I'd like to do that. Really? <laughs> and I started, you know, pretending at home with a hairbrush, you know, until one day somebody heard me sing and thought, you know, Kristen, would you like to sing in the children's choir? And it just sort of went from there. God gave you the desire of your heart. <laughs> yeah. The four-year-old heart. Right. And I can't believe that um, that's what I do. You know, I always enjoyed it. I always loved it. And um, I met Keith when I was 18 and he really sent me, sent me spinning. My life changed the day I met him <laughs> um, because suddenly he, he as, alongside my parents and other key people, he took my singing and the possibility that I could write very seriously. And that, that changed very much my life vocationally and ministry-wise. Coming up, we'll hear how Keith first came to Christ. That's in the second half of today's First Person. Next time, an important conversation about Native American ministry. Oftentimes when we go into the reservations, the the greatest challenge we have is overcoming the damage that has been done by other Christians. You know, a crazy horse said that this Jesus that the Christians talk about, he seems like a good man. Why don't they follow his teachings? Charles Robinson of the Red Road helps us understand how to reach out to Native Americans in the name of Christ. That's next time on First Person.
My guests today on First Person are Keith and Kristen Getty. Uh, you've been wonderful to invite me into your home to have this uh, conversation today on the program, and uh, it's always good to see you guys. And Kristen, how wonderful to hear your story of coming to Christ and that home, that uh, loving embrace that you felt and the faith with your folks and your, and your siblings. Yeah. You said uh, you were 18 when you met this guy sitting next to you on the couch. Yeah, a week before my 19th birthday. Okay. Now, as I recall, you told me the story one time, but didn't your uncle, John Lennox, That's ask right. Keith to kind of watch out for his niece who was interested in music. Is that, is, well, do I have that right? That's right. My Uncle John is one of those people that really influenced our life, both of us separately before we'd ever met each other in terms of really helping us understand our faith and be excited about it. And he heard me sing when I was 18 um, at church and he said, you know, I know another guy, he's, a, he's musical. I think you should get <laughs> together with him. He's a, he's a believer and I think it'd be really helpful. And he then called... That's right. Keith. And John was brilliant enough to help me with faith and stupid enough to think that I wouldn't want to go out with his daughter, isn't he? So, <laughs> so <laughs> he was naive, huh? So he was um, yeah, so he was the very best of both. He was my he was my my spiritual and my personal savior okay. in that sense. All right. <laughs> and, and for those sense. who are making the connection, yes, we are talking about John Lennox, the great apologist who often yeah. speaks around the world with the Robbie Zacharias team and others. Um, great mind and intellect, but just what a heart for God, too. You would never call him a matchmaker, and yet <laughs> that's what he did. And we actually have a, a triangle hanging up in our kitchen window oh, that yes. he gave. He spoke at our wedding. Okay. And he talked about, it's quite, you know, it's cheesy, but memorable. <laughs> <laughs> the, he talked about the three Ks of the King and Keith and Kristen and keeping I that harmony it. in I our home. I see that triangle over there. Yeah. <laughs> it just reminded me of that. That's very nice. Very nice. Okay, Keith. We heard Kristen's story. I want to hear your story now. Your story of coming to faith in Christ. Um, well, again, similar. I grew up in a Christian home. Belfast and Nashville are twin cities, um, international twin cities, and they're very similar in the sense that they're both Bible Belt type cities. So we, I grew up in a Christian home, and um, and and again, like Kristen, you know, prayed a prayer when I was young, prayed it a thousand more times just to be sure because I didn't quite understand all the nuances, and. Um, and so I, I do talk about the, the period between the 17 and 21 as, or 17 and 22 as being definitive for me, for starting in final year high school, going through university, and then after that. And that's where John Lennox was so helpful because I, I began to integrate with theologians who did not believe the faith. I began to integrate with, with very, very aggressive atheists. I began to meet um, people who were, um, were Islamic. And so these things brought whole new challenges to life. And people like John were very helpful, obviously, in books, C.S. Lewis, both, both Irishmen, yes. and Alistair McGrath, a third yeah. Irishman, all from Northern Ireland. And yeah. um, We just had Alistair McGrath on the program who talked about his new biography of C.S. Lewis, yeah, yeah. which he deals with his Irishness yeah. a lot. Uh, so all, all three of us are from Belfast, or the greater Belfast, I guess you could say. And um, so they were great. So that time was redefining because I began to think about faith in a more deep way. Um, but I began to think about it in a more holistic way. And um, fundamentalism, I guess, in many ways had confused me about life generally, but about the specifics of life from work to music and the arts to what we do in church when we sing right across the board. And so I came out of that, I think, a much more rounded and wholesome person. Not that I didn't need an awful lot more chiseling to be done, but yeah. but, but out of that, and then, of course, that came the, the out of that, then I met, I met Kristen. And also out of that came a passion to to help people understand the faith that I was more confident in uh, and the foundations of that faith and in, in, in how we sing. And so um, church music, which had, in a way, Chris, church worship, which had brought me into church as a musician and given me help enhance my passion, 
um, became a confusing thing. And then I came out the other end wanting to sort of re, re I guess, redefine that. Yeah. I wanted to talk um, to you about that because when, when did the, your musicianship come to the forefront in your life? I mean, you, you must've been musically yeah, inclined I always as a made child. Music, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a sports guy, but I had no talent. I was that. We have some I was, talent, Keith. No, no, but I was, I was the, um, <laughs> Uh, whatever the sporting equivalent of is of not being able to sing in tune, I, I still play golf. I'm going home in the summer to play golf every day for six weeks, and I still play off a 20, 24 handicap. And um, so I, I really have a very, very little talent at sport, but I, I love it. But anyway, music music was from early teens, from from 10 years old, really. I did music. That began with piano lessons and guitar. I was a guitar, guitar player. Oh, oh I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. Classical and so guitar. I played, yeah. Classical guitar. Yeah. So I played. I, I don't played, think I've ever heard you play the guitar. Really? Um, he started playing a lot more in our um, concerts. Yeah. Oh, see, I haven't been to one recently, so yeah. I, yeah. I need I need to get together yeah. here. And when, when, when? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's a beautiful player. Classical guitar, guitar, and then and then and then flute and piano and then conducting became okay. the main thing. So it was a classical background. Um, Steve Jobs talks about creativity as being a combination of your experiences, and if that be the case, I would say there were probably four. There were there were five creative experiences. One of them was theological, and that was this this sense of of studying the Bible, and then uh, and with, with with theological friends. Seven yeah. of my friends from high from high school became pastors. Huh. Which was just for for a non Christian school it was just sure. remarkable. Yeah, and um, and but and, you wanted to express it in a then, different way. Yeah, and then the apolog- and then the apologist that sort of had to grow out of struggling with faith. But on the on the musical side, of course, I came from Ireland. I had a classical musical background. I loved historic church music and was involved in church music. And then I became as I living, I became an orchestrator of of ballads and slow melodies. And so each of those things I think inputted into what became the style that we would write in mm-hmm. as a, as, as a musician. And so. how do you describe, I mean, I, I think I could begin to describe it, but I'd like to hear how you describe what you do musically now. I write modern hymns or modern songs for worship in churches mm-hmm. and, um, and, and spend the rest of the time being a steward of those, whether it's doing interviews with Wayne Shepherd or, <laughs> or doing concerts at the Ryman or whatever. But, um, so that, that's, that has become sort of the, the, the vocational calling in our life is to do that. And what sense do you have of, of the impact of, of what you do is having on the church? I mean, I, I, I can go anywhere in the country and probably around the world and hear hymns like in Christ alone or the power of the cross or mm. some of the newer things as well. Um, well, first of all, thank you. And um, I, I don't think I don't think too much about the impact in that I, because uh, it's, it's hard it's hard to work that out. I mean, I know what we tried to do. We we looked when we looked at faith and from a personal point of view, and then from a historical point of view, and then a theological point of view. We we look, I guess there were three things we felt really passionately about. One was text. One was congregational. And one was a sense of timeless and higher art form, hmm. and those three things we were as we look at hymnology and art, in, in, in throughout gospel history from the Old Testament on. First of all, the word of Christ dwells in people richly when they sing together. That's that's an important thing. God's people in the Old Testament learned their faith through what they sang. They rehearsed the gospel yeah. Yeah. through rehearsing how God had dealt through history. They that's how they were taught in the Old Testament. The Psalms is probably the single greatest canon we have of the character of God and the reality of human experience. Mm-hmm. And so, and indeed, and so, and so we wanted, and in the New Testament, the, these songs that, that teach these, what we suspect were songs that, that, that teach through the gospel story, that rehearse the gospel story into life. So what we sing, Alistair Begg talks about congregations being people in quiet desperation, needing truth put into mm-hmm. them. And as mm-hmm. a musician and as people who lead worship, we all have a job to help build deep disciples through the songs that we sing. Yeah. 
The second thing was to, was looking through history was the the holiness of congregational singing, God's people getting together to sing in celebration, in war times, in festivals, in funerals, wherever it was, they get together. It's holy activity. And so trying to bring the congregation to the center rather than the choir or the worship leader or the band or the production, but elevating congregation and writing writing melodies that allow congregations in the West to bridge the contemporary traditional congregations around the world. We wrote folk melodies so that congregations that don't have music can sing. Most people, most places that sing in Christ alone in the world on a Sunday don't have music. <laughs> they just sing it on a company because it's yeah. a folk melody. Yeah. And um, so that's that was the second thing. And the third thing was, our, you know, I was inspired by a classical background, folk background, poetry, and trying to try and craft music that rather than sounding like what is now, that sounds historical. And in that sense, we hope has more of a, a voice into the future. Yeah, um, historical and yet timeless too. Right. I, I wish I could remember who said it, but I, I think I just read this yesterday. Someone made the comment along the lines that, I want the music that I write, I want to think about my children and my grandchildren singing that song someday. That's kind of the, the timeliness or timelessness uh, yeah, factor. And of course, it's a goal. You know, we, we all know that all art ultimately has its time. C.S. Lewis says that the only, the only truly eternal things that we will ever encounter in this life is the person beside us in the bus. Hmm. You know, everything else, even yes. the greatest architecture will one day disappear. But at the same time, we want to write something that is a quality to last. Lewis's books... Are still on a are still on a sales increase, yeah, yeah. which is an interesting it's model because it, it's it's the exact opposite of, of the publishing business model, and hmm. that you know his each year of his life they they grew and there's a sense of 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 excellence and truth combined. If we can do that well, you know that that becomes I think Michael Card always said hmm. that that becomes your protest. It becomes mm-hmm. it becomes it says the thing that you can't say. So yes, Kristen, how can we pray for the two of you and and Eliza Joy? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you very much for that. We all need as much prayer as possible. The specifics to our work that we just continue to be able to write these these hymns, um, um, being disciplined with our time, filling the creative well with ex- life experiences and the things we read and hear so that we can better write from that. You never want to just go through the motions, do you? Right. You, you want to fill the tank yeah. so you can give. Yeah. yeah. In the last couple of years, we've been working on a specific thing called Hymns for the Christian Life. And so we've been really intentionally connecting our faith with life and writing songs about that. So we've sort of been living in it a lot more, and which is, I think, a very positive thing. Um, but So that's sort of specifics to our work. But I think... Um, deeper than that is just our own personal walk with the Lord, our, our marriage, our um, responsibility to Eliza to not just instruct her in the way to go, but to walk it herselves so that she might see it and um, to try and make faith attractive for her in our household and to bring people across her way that might inspire her in the faith too. Well, it was a real treat to sit down with Keith and Kristen at the end of a busy day and talk to them both about their life and ministry. Hopefully, God will continue to use them to give voice to all of us in corporate worship. Well, we've placed additional information regarding the Gettys and their music at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can log on and click the listen button to hear the whole program. That's firstpersoninterview.com. And that's also where to go to see who we'll be talking to in the future here in the program. Check out the schedule at firstpersoninterview.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Next time, you'll meet Charles Robinson, a Native American who loves the Lord and wants us to learn about and respect his unique culture. Be sure to listen for next week's program about Native Americans. 
Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening today. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.